0: to Relevant Tones. I'm your host today, Austin Williams. We just listened to an excerpt from Bruce Adolph's portraits performed by the group Da Capo. Da Capo just celebrated their 50th anniversary as an ensemble, and they have accomplished so much over the years. Uh, da Capo has worked with over 117 composers and premiered over 150 new, year, new works, um, and these new works were coming from some pretty heavy-handed composers such as Elliot Carter, Milton Babbitt, and uh, other modernists of the time uh, in New York. So to celebrate this 50th anniversary, they had a lovely three-part concert series where they premiered some new works, played some old works in the repertoire, and it's just this plethora of, uh, of music going on. I'll mention this later in the program, but if you care to listen to the full concert, it's up on YouTube, and it is uh, a lot of music. Um, I can't imagine everything that they had to do to prepare for this, but again, this is also works that have been in their repertoire, so it was maybe like revisiting old friends. I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, the flutist in the ensemble, Patricia Spencer, and uh, the composer of the last work that we just heard, Bruce Adolph, who, um, along with writing the last work, is just a long-term and long-time friend of the ensemble, and they both had uh, lovely things to say about working together and a lot of reminiscing about just, you know, uh, old times with the ensemble and kind of, you know, uh, looking on where it is now, so Um, Without much more, we're going to listen to one more piece by Bruce, and we're going to jump right into the uh, interview. Enjoy. It's it's such a plethora and, and such a library of um uh of a portfolio. So uh, I just wanted to bring that to the front of the conversation uh, because it's it's great to be chatting with uh with you all about it. Um, so you seem really eager to kind of jump into this question about the um uh, just what the experience of collaborating with a variety of musicians and composers for the fiftieth anniversary. I um. Uh, was under the, maybe not under the impression that they were all premieres, but um, I then learned that um, Bruce's piece, uh, yours was a premiere, and then there were two others that were on that concert. So since, uh, Bruce, you're here, would you... could
1: I lead into Bruce? Because I have a way that I've particularly thought about.
0: Sure.
1: Is that okay? Okay, so, Austin, I love your first question about the experience of collaborating with a variety of composers. And I'd like to start with Bruce Adolf, who's wonderfully right here, and who has written four pieces for us, which is terrific. Thinking back for a minute to a piece he wrote for us in 1990, a piece titled, My Show is My Beginning. That piece shows his respect for and totally cool understanding of the deep roots of music, even back from the 14th century. He told us he had made a challenge for himself not to change any of the notes or any of the rhythms, but still to make it a 20th century piece. And he totally succeeded. It's amazing. So with our newest piece from him, called Portraits, which was one of our three major 50th anniversary commissions. He is also referencing seminal composers. In this case, composers with whom De Capo has worked in depth and referencing them with equal respect and wonderful imagination. So, Bruce, can you tell us your secret? How can you be so aware of other composers' musical thinking and still communicate your own voice?
2: Well, all music is really about other music when it comes down to it. I mean, every piece of music that a composer writes is in some way uh, a reaction to whether that's a positive reaction or a pushing back to the music they know. I mean, we all grow up with a lot of music, musicians, that is, and we we are, uh, <clears throat> our minds are like a library, like an archive of all the things we've ever heard. And when we write something, all the music we know and love is there somehow or other. So being specific and right out in front about it by saying this will be a piece based on my show, or in the case of portraits, a piece based... Uh, each movement based on a particular composer and two performers as well, it, it actually is a kind of conversation with those people. And I always learn a lot doing that. And as a sideline, I just think, you know, uh, if this is listened to by uh, radio audiences at all, uh, this is the 20th anniversary of my radio show, The Piano Puzzlers, which I, uh, in which I always take some famous tune maybe a Beatles tune or Cole Porter or Gershwin or Harold Marlin or whatever, and do it in the style of some composer. And I've used, I think, 35 different composers over the years for, for that. So... This is like part of how I think anyway. And I I think most composers are aware of their influences and either they have what Harold Bloom unfortunately called the anxiety of influence, or they think of it as a joyous thing, like Stravinsky, whose whole career was based on reacting to other people's music. And so uh, in this case as it often is for me, I really enjoy delving into the kind of intellectual and and artistic mindsets of certain composers. So the first movement was based on um, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Nicholas Maw, who um, died a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And Nicholas and I talked about music all the time. We talked about my music and his music and other music. And I, I knew all of his his chamber music and orchestral music and and the operas too when I started writing this but I didn't imitate Nicholas I took... Deliberately, a few harmonies right out of some of his pieces that I love, and I made sure I'm going to use these particular structures, these chords, and a couple of phrases, not quotes, but feelings of phrases from various things of his, and just write my own music, thinking about him all the time. And so while it does conjure up Nicholas, because it has harmonic influence and and uh, a certain kind of thickness of texture and a richness of texture from Nicholas, um, and also some of his rhythmic ideas. I, I was completely free, unlike the Machot, where I gave myself a strict, almost a straight jacket, which was kind of fun. Uh, in this case, I was really in conversation with Nicholas Ma in a way that was like when I knew him, uh, but it was just purely through the music. Um, With Milton Babbitt, you know, I studied with Milton at Juilliard, uh, as well as with some other people. And when I studied with him, uh, it was always interesting to me, as as it has been for anyone who knew Babbitt, how different he seemed as a person from what people thought about his music, because he it was hilariously funny. He loved popular music, beer and baseball and McDonald's. And th- this kind of uh, popular jazz aspect of his music is actually there. And the more you know his music, the more you can hear the jazz in it. So I decided to write a piece that I thought he would think was really funny if he were still alive, because i mm-hmm put some of the jazz right on the surface mm-hmm. and some of the feelings of the kinds of jazz tunes that he grew up with right there in the midst of a Milton Babbitt texture and some of his rhythms and things. So I had a, it was like a puzzle, a little bit more like a piano puzzle because it was Milton Babbitt and some of that jazz. And then with George Pearl, it was a little harder for me because I, I, I knew Pearl, but uh, uh, not as well. And I never studied with him, but uh, and I, I do know the music. I have to say, what was amazing was after the premiere, Shirley Pearl, who is 97, who was there and still seems like a... I mean, you would think she was 60. Mm. Um, She's totally with it. And she came up to me and she knew which pieces of George's I had been listening to. Just from hearing it once. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So I... I, um, Yeah, that was incredible. And then... So this is, yeah, this might sorry.
0: seem like a, a banal or kind of a point blank question. So each of the portraits you're kind of trying to peer into this world of different composers or different works that maybe you've, you're uh, influenced or otherwise you maybe just enjoy. Is that kind of what was going on with that piece? Well, these were people
2: who uh, uh, died and were involved with Da Capo.
0: I see. Yes.
1: Perhaps I could speak to that. Milton Babbitt wrote, when we won the Nauberg Foundation Award, Milton Babbitt wrote Aria da Capo for us. And so that was, these were composers. Nicholas Maw also wrote a wonderful piece, Ghost Dances, Mm. for us. And George Pearl wrote a piece called Sonata a Quattro. In fact, he first wrote a little scherzo, and then he just fell in love with the sound of the mixed the two winds and the two strings. Mm. And then when we asked him for another piece, he said, yes, he was going to write Sonata a Quattro. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. So this actually, these portraits are all elegies. Mm. Because, um, you know, first of all, we left out the other two people who are not composers. Um, Laura Flax, who played clarinet with Da Capo, how many years, Pat? Fifteen. Fifteen years. 1976
1: to 1991.
2: And also David Golub, who was not as involved with De Campo. maybe he wasn't actually, but he was a very close friend of mine, and I felt I just had to include him when I was writing these elegies. Yeah. And he also was a very close friend of Nicholas Moss, so it sort of fit together there. Uh, the two performers, Laura and David, um, both died young-ish, you know, pretty young, and uh, Nicholas... Was I think seventy three when he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milton was ninety four, and George I think was ninety five. So, but all of these elegies were people who were close to me and close to De Capo. Mm-hmm. Um Again, with the exception of David Golub, who was kind of a link between Nicholas Small and myself. So, it was a series of elegies, but they're also celebrations. That's I mean, true. the only the only uh, the composers for me were more celebratory about their lives and their music. The performers, those elegies are darker and they're more um, uh, really what you would expect from an elegy. With David Golub, I took a piece that he played as an encore many times, a Schubert impromptu, and I wrote a piece around the Schubert. And, and as the Schubert uh, is about to end, uh, my my piece leaves off right before there's a resolution of the harmony and you feel like. It doesn't, it doesn't end, it just disappears and vanishes the sure. way it felt like. And with Laura, um, the, for her movement, the clarinet f- is featured throughout, and all the other instruments are commenting around it and sort of uh, attaching themselves to her and detaching. But the clarinet th- um, stays through all the way to the end and is alone at the end and disappears also, kind of vanishing.
3: Thank <laughs> you.
0: How do you feel like being in a group for 50 years um, or over the course of 50 years, how do you feel like the programming has changed or what maybe how is the ensemble um, taking it on specifically how you guys want to change the programming?
1: One one very important thing has changed. In the beginning, we would all get around gather together and do some listening together and try to reach a consensus mm. about the programs. Well, wow, well, after maybe ten or twelve years of that or maybe more, we started realizing that it was first of all, it was really hard to come to a consensus because <laughs> we had such different tastes and that didn't seem to work so and i I can't even remember exactly when we shifted but we shifted to a a curatorial a rotating curatorial system
0: it seemed like um because there were three different events for the 50th anniversary um and the first event seemed very focused on uh, music around the world so composers of um a very diverse background and then Um, the last concert seemed to have more maybe homage to, um, like, uh, um, you have like Steve Reich and, uh, Elliot Carter. And so big names from like the mid 20th century. And then the second event kind of had maybe some more, um, relationship directly to the ensemble. Um, but actually I was kind of curious about maybe, um, this second event and, uh, what maybe the, the through line is with the composers there.
1: Well, the the composers in the second event, the second event was Bridging Styles, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's actually where the Steve Reich was. So we we had the minimalism, then we had Elliot Carter. Because yeah, again, right. we've had we've had a, a long, wonderful relationship with Elliot Carter, and that was that was really fun to include. Uh, not only did we do the invited premiere of his Enchanted Preludes, but we had done both an 80th and an 85th anniversary concert sure. honoring him and we collaborated with him he wanted a certain piece by hives to be included mm-hmm. he wanted something by ruth crawford Seeger to mm-hmm. be included and it's wonderful to hear what what composers how they're how they're thinking is what goes with their pieces so that was that was very exciting and we had all also done, uh, we did a collaboration. Speaking of collaborations, we did a, a CD of Elliot Carter pieces and George Pearl pieces. Mm. And George Pearl was is, was, uh, was included on our, our then and now our bridging eras concert. I see. But uh, getting back to bridging styles, one of the exciting things about that program is the is the jazz. It was the New York premiere of Erica Lindsay's jazz piece, yeah. which. Was written for us in 2015, mm-hmm. and that was that was really a big a big stretch for us. I mean, we say, okay, we're we're going to stretch ourselves. We're we're going to be eclectic. We're going to go in the jazz direction. And she wrote that piece for us, and. Uh, it did require us to stretch. She gave us several jazz scales to practice ahead of time. So that was <laughs> a nice interaction. Thank God she did that. <laughs> and she also recommended, she, she had several guest musicians that she needed for that piece, and she recommended a specific group who had already been playing together quite a lot. And that was incredibly helpful for us because for us to rehearse I mean we started off our first improvisations were very tentative (laughs) and then we heard them they were just you know they were they were in their element and I thought oh my god we better open up a little bit Mm -hmm. and we did you know I'm not saying we're not going to be a jazz group but (laughs) in, in fact stretching in that in that direction is very exciting. It's very it's, it seems very important and it helps us when we come back to the repertoire that we where we know everything quote unquote. Uh, it gives us this kind of added stability uh, and an added security sure. and added added convincing or, or perhaps more convincing. We think a lot about our programming, and one thing I ask myself all the time is, what makes if we're juxtaposing styles what makes it work
0: it's very subliminal though like it's not um i'm obviously and we we all are we're experienced um, music listeners um but i think to the um less experienced music listener that would even be something that they may not think of but they would experience that and see you know maybe subliminally um have that through line which is you know programming is is enough of a, a challenge as a performing the music i think sometimes so uh, you know
2: austin since you mentioned listeners and uh, perceptions of programming and also how the capo has changed or what it's like to see the capo now Mm -hmm. one of the things that hit me at the 50th anniversary concert that i was uh, at was the audience Mm. because the audience had a lot of the same people that i remember seeing uh (laughs) Years and years and years ago, because they are truly, they, there are a lot of major figures in new music sure. who apparently still come uh, to hear Da Capo and especially for the 50th anniversary. So there was a huge reunion of, That's cool. there were composers and new music people and, you yeah. know, lots of, there were group of singers and, and it's, it's a very particular New York audience that I was kind of delighted to see. And it was, it's very moving to see sure. them still attached to the ensemble
1: like
0: that. That's, uh, I mean, to, that, yeah. Patricia, please. that's that's interesting,
1: Bruce, because I'm I, I thought that also, and then other people commented that they were pleased to see so many younger people mm-hmm.
0: there. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think you, the the programming by itself, um, you really brought in a, a program that would attract a, a wide variety of individuals. Uh, the um, The last piece on the um, first event, the Shirish Chord. Um, Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Um, Corday. 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 uh, Corday. Um, I I was infatuated with that, and I think that's it's it sounds it sounds fresh to me in a lot of ways, Um, and it's a very and I um, I like the programmatic aspect to it as well. (laughs)
1: Fantastic! I actually, I, I love that piece, and I, I do have a, a, a lot to say about it. Sure. Uh, I think his music is is well known for weaving back and forth in 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 and out among different musical cultures, and sure. he's been doing that. I, I think the first piece I played of his was in 1991, sure. and I, maybe that's when I recorded it. I played it before that, mm-hmm. uh, and it. Just kind of back and forth between Shakuhachi world and Western pointillism. <laughs> and, and he always made it connected. And it was fantastic. The troubles happening in the world, anarchy, discontent, upheaval, desperate fights over territory, water, and food. Air and water contaminated, unhappiness. We must do something. I have seen the world.
3: I know many secrets. Listen to me. I know of a king. A king who has all the answers. We must go. We must go and find him
0: The journey scared the birds, they made excuses.
3: Stop these excuses.
1: Follow me.
0: Being in the ensemble for as long as you have, what do you think the future of the ensemble holds and what do you hope the the future of it um, continues to do?
1: I would love we've been going in a certain direction and I would love to keep going more in that direction of well, that's getting back to a compositional understanding. One thing that happens with a group that is so good is that the rehearsal time gets limited because everyone is so busy. Mm. So, and we get together and we play play through the piece, and it sounds great. And everybody says, "Okay, when's the concert?" Sure. I mean, that, that doesn't happen. But I, but there's there's a sense that. Sometimes, because people are so busy, that there's a sense that we, we can't push ahead into the the, the you know in, into getting to toward a Glenn Gould understanding yeah. of what we're playing. I mean, that's that's what that's my dream.
0: a product of Access Contemporary Music, be sure to check out more at acmusic.org. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks.